My father-in-law died December a year ago. Right after I married his daughter, my 1965 Galaxy 500 started smoking really bad. You remember those old V8 engines that you had to rebuild every 50,000 or so? <laughs> he said, bring that thing over to the house. And Jack Hamilton and I rebuilt that engine together. And I feel like love took me in with my father-in-law. And I miss him today. My earliest memory, or pretty much the earliest memory I have, is when I was a preschooler living in the parsonage in El Paso. And I was probably three or four years old. I'd fallen asleep somewhere else in the house, and my father had picked me up to carry me to bed. And I have this snapshot photo in my mind from when I was a little boy passing the water heater in the hallway when I woke up and being disoriented for a minute and then realizing that I was in my father's arms and he was carrying me to bed and going right back to sleep. And that little snapshot survived all these years. It's in my mind, my earliest memory of my father. Today, my dad is preaching at Turnersville Baptist Church. He's 79 years old. He survived two heart attacks and quadruple bypass surgery. And I love him. He taught me a lot about the Father in heaven. I've been taken in by love, by men on the planet who understood the power of loving a little boy. And there's nothing more important to do. And when you do it, you are emulating the Father in heaven. And in Psalm 127, which is where we're going now as we make our trip through this fifth book in the Psalter, which starts with 107 and goes to the end, that set of psalms. And today we're looking at a familiar psalm that you have heard before probably, Psalm 127, a powerful psalm for the fathers in the room and everybody to hear. And the scripture says here, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep for those he loves. Sons are a heritage of the Lord, children a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth, Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. Now, this psalm mentions at least four roles that fathers have. They are not exclusive to fathers. Mothers may have them too. 
But I think fathers identify with them in a big way. Fathers are builders. That's the first phrase. Protectors. That's the second phrase. Providers. That's the second verse. And parents. That's verses 4 and 5. And I want to just talk to you, dads, men in general, about those roles in your life. And here's the thing. Three times in these five verses, the psalmist says, in vain. You can build a house in vain. You can try to guard a city in vain. You can rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, and it all be in vain. It all be empty. So today, we look at the text to see, Lord, how can you make it full, purposeful, meaningful in my life? This providing, protecting, parenting that I do. Join the Lord in building your house. That's the first thing. Join the Lord in building your house. Hey, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor how? In vain. You want to do this thing in vain? This is a statement about the sovereignty of God. Now, you already know this, but let me tell you. When you came to Jesus, you came to a house. I'm reminding you. You came to a house. You were adopted into a family. You are now called the children of God. What an amazing thing. That we should be called children of God. It's astonishing. When you came to Jesus, you came to a house. You are part of the household of God. And the house to which you came is a model for the house you want to build. You want to build your house like this house you came into when you met Jesus. And that means you want to acknowledge God, Dad, every day as the giver of all things. Because this psalm expresses the truth that is thoroughgoing in Scripture. He is the sovereign God and the giver of every good thing. So when you do your building of your house, you make sure everybody in the house knows that we are all indebted to the Father in heaven who gives all good things. He is the giver of life. And every gift comes from Him. And you confess your gratitude to the Father every day. A Father who builds His house with God unless the Lord build the house, is a father who expresses gratitude every day. He is thankful every day for the Father in heaven. That's how you build your house, like the house you came into when you met Jesus, and he received you into the family of God. You confess the lordship of Christ 
in your house. You love to build. I know you do. I love to build. I like tools and equipment, things like that. Hey, if I get a break in my day, I might just go to Lowe's and check out the riding lawnmowers. Do I need a riding lawnmower? No. Do I like to look at tools? Yes. I got a long list of things I want, like a 30-gallon air compressor, which I don't need yet. But I got my eye on one, all right? I like to build, just like you guys do. Okay. You build your house on the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is Lord in your house. I like that little sign that expresses what Joshua says. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, what? We will serve the Lord. Dads, we will serve the Lord. We know what we're doing in our house. Our house is going to serve the Lord. And that means Jesus is the Lord in this house. Everything that goes on in this house is under his lordship. That particularly pertains to your motives and methods in everything you do. you got to get the methods and the motives right, not just the goals. Not just the targets. It's not just where you're headed as a dad and as a household and a family. It's how you get there. It's real important how you get there. So the words and the deeds, the methods and the motives are all under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And you check yourself every day about that. Am I doing this out of anger or love? This discipline I'm about to do. Because the Lord loves those he chastens. He loves them. And so this disciplining, this correcting process I'm in, I got to be immersed in love even as I do it. Am I acting out of fear in what I'm doing as a dad, as a parent, as a leader? Because I don't want to live in fear. Fear is a place of torment. I want to walk in faith. That's putting the lordship of Jesus Christ in my house and building my house, not on fear, but in faith. Not in anger, but in love. Making sure the methods and the motives and the means of my building come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's checking attitudes. Not only what I say, but how I say it. So that everybody knows I have a grateful heart to God and Jesus is Lord in what we're building. I want to build this house so it stands. There's a house that stands forever. It is the house of the Lord. David talked about it, and David had a big house. God built his house big. In fact, God said to David, your house is going to endure forever. And through Jesus the Messiah, that came true. But David wrote in the psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You take care of me even in the presence of mine enemies. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. When? All the days of my life. And what? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Build your house in the parameters, on the lines of the forever house. And it will stand. When you came to Jesus... You came to a house. Join with the Lord in building your house and join with the Lord in protecting your city. 
Did you know you came to a city when you came to Jesus? Did you know that? You did. It says it in Hebrews 12, 22. You've not come to a mount that cannot be touched into fire and thunder and billows of smoke, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of God, the new Jerusalem, to myriads of angels in the church of the firstborn, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Did you know you came to a city when you came to Jesus? There's a city of God. I read it Friday in the funeral. God's going to institute a new heaven and a new earth. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, adorned like a bride for her husband. Now the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will be their God, and he will be with them. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. The former things are passed away, and the city of God spreads its boundaries across the universe. You came to a city. You say, well, what am I supposed to be doing in my city, my collection of houses where God turns me loose every day to do the educating and the medicine and the legal work and the building and construction and all the things I do out there in the city? You build your city like the city you came to when you met Jesus. That's the model you build on. You say, that'll never happen. The city of God will never be here on this planet. And you know what? I know we're not going to achieve perfection, either in the house you build with your wife and children or with those who are part of your family, whoever they might be. You're not going to achieve perfection in the house you build, but you build toward the house you came to when you met Jesus. And you came to a city when you met Jesus. So you don't expect to achieve perfection on this planet, on this turf, while you're building, but you build toward the model of the city you came to when you met Jesus, the city of God. Now what does that mean when you're out there in the world as a father working? It means in part that you see your work as very significant. You're not just clocking in and out. You're not just living for the weekend when you can get off work and then your life starts and that's real, the real you. You find a way every day and every hour of your labor to integrate the city of God with the city of man so that you are an agent for the divine city in the place where God has planted you. You watch your mouth so you don't pollute the air around you. You don't want to curse the city of which you are a part. You want to bless the city of which you are a part. You want to carry the lordship of Jesus Christ into the city as you go. In your obedience, your demeanor, your attitude, your words and your deeds, your submission to the ethics and values of Jesus that he has taught you. Everywhere you go, you are submitting to those ethics as you build your city. Say, we're trying to protect our city right now. We've got an oil spill in the Gulf, and 122 million gallons of oil are now mixed with those salt waters in the Gulf of Mexico. And there are booms out there trying to soak the 
that oil up and there are ships sucking up that oil. There are men walking on the beaches trying to get those beaches clean. And we're seeking to protect our way of life and protecting is complex business. It's not easy to define. Sometimes you protect the environment, but you don't protect the economy. And we have a balancing act right now all in this coastal area as we're seeking to protect the economy and the environment at the same time. We're trying to recover from this terrible spill that has happened. And it is a picture of every man in his house seeking to be the protector, wondering where the lines need to be drawn, how do you keep the pollutants out? How do you balance the different values and tensions within your own household? It's okay for you not to be certain what you ought to do with that 13-year-old all the time. It's okay. Take a breath. Relax a little bit. Mom, Dad, for some of these things, there's nobody on the planet who's for sure what you ought to do with that child. Some of you questioning what you did when they were under your care, wondering if you got it right, and if you did, why things turned out like they did. God has the wisdom to discern all these things. We seek to do what is right and best and true in our time and our place. And sometimes you have questions and you wonder. You know what you do then? You just trust it to the Lord. Just entrust your children to the Lord. Do it again today. He said, I did that yesterday. Well, that's a good thing to do every day. Commit them to the Lord. Commit your parents to the Lord. He loves them more than you do. He can take care of them. Part of your protecting is prayer, where you turn to God and say, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you, and my children are yours, even more so than mine. So, Lord, you take care of them. We want to protect them. We want nothing to pollute their heart or their spirit. But that's not going to happen. They are going to encounter the disease and trouble and sin of this world. And they're going to make their own choices. You say, what do you do when a child goes off in such a tangent? And they're out there somewhere far away in the world. You keep loving them. You got a better solution? You keep loving them, Father. Say, why would I love them after they spurned everything I gave to them and, and took off in their own way? Why would I keep loving them? Because you're building your house and you're protecting your city like God builds his house and protects the city and he keeps loving the prodigal even after he's gone to the far country and spent everything, all his inheritance in wild living. He still loves him and every day he walks out the front door scanning the horizon to see if he sees the gate of his son and he recognizes his posture and he knows who he is and he's longing for him to come back and his love for his son never dies. That's the Father in heaven.
That's how he loves you. He loves you just like that. And you build your house and protect your city when you love just like that. When you never stop loving the prodigal, the lost, the wayward. Join the Lord in building your house, protecting your city, and providing for your family. I mean, verse 2 is a little scary, isn't it? I get up early. Some of you do too. Anna, she never sees the sunrise. That's all right. That's all right. She stays up late. Look, in vain, the scripture says, in vain, you get up early and you stay up late. Who wants to do that? Work hard all your life and at the end all of it just be nothing? Go through your hands. Don't you see verse 2 is scary? In vain, you rise up early, you stay up late. Toiling for the food you're going to eat. You know how that is in the King James and how the literal is? It's to eat the bread of sorrows. You know, you could get up early, stay up late, work all your life, and eat the bread of sorrows. That's all it would be. Lord, I don't want to go there. I don't want to eat the bread of sorrow every day. Not after I put my heart and soul into this toil and work and labor of mine. How do you rescue me, God, from that kind of fate? You realize he gives sleep to those he loves. That's the last part of verse 2. He gives sleep to those he loves. There's a rest that's due for you, Dad, in your body, your mind, and your soul. It's a rest that you need, and you must claim it somehow for you and who you are. You can't always be solving the world's problems. You can't always be going to work. You can't always give all your life to toil and labor. You can't always do that. And God did not intend for you to, though he was not tired. On the seventh day, God rested. He wasn't out of energy. What is he doing? He's showing you, Dad, you got to rest. I just can't seem to rest. you got to rest in him. He gives sleep to those he loves. There's a dimension of your life Father, in providing, in which you must absolutely trust him. Every day when you put your head on the pillow, there's more you could have done. Get used to that. You won't get it all done. But you can learn to lay it aside and put your head on the pillow and go to sleep and enjoy the rest of faith and trust in God. There is a rest that remains for the children of God. It is a rest that comes in trusting Him. I hope you can find that rest, Dad and Mom, that your soul won't always be in turmoil, 
that you, all, you won't always be laboring, that God will give you sleep and rest as you trust him. Join with him in your providing. I was speaking to a wife and mother yesterday whose husband works offshore, and he was on the rigs in the Gulf of Mexico. And I said, is he going to be all right? Is his job secure? She said, we know for 30 days. We don't know after that. I said, are you okay? She said, he's always been a good provider. I'm not worried. Well, she was resting in her soul. Even though this picture may look bleak. And father, husband, provider, you must do the same. Rest in the God who is able beyond you and your abilities, your knowledge, or your connections, who is able to provide for you. He is the provider. When you came to Jesus, you came to the provider. You came to the house of the Lord. You came to the city of the Lord. And you came to the provision of the Lord. And here's a verse for you on Father's Day. Philippians 4.19 And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. All your need. It's your Father's Day verse. Sometimes you may wonder, well, who's taking care of me? I'm the provider. I'm the protector. I'm the builder. Who's taking care of me? The Father in heaven's taking care of you. And others are too. Don't let the devil sell you this line that you're all alone in the world, okay? There may be a teenager here feeling that way. I'm all by myself. Nobody knows. Uh -uh. The devil loves to isolate you, to cut you out away from your family and friends, emotionally, in your mind, and relationships. He loves to do that because he knows that when you're all by yourself and you feel so isolated and alone, that's when you're most vulnerable, and he wants to devour you. He'd just love to destroy you, and he does that by isolating you. Don't cooperate with him in that work. You love the folks that, he's, that God has placed in your life and stay in those vital relationships. Join with the Lord in your providing. He is the great provider. And join with the Lord in your parenting. God is the great parent. When you came to Jesus, you came to the Father. In fact, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to whom? The Father, except through me. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. He's the one that told us about the banquet that's going to happen in the Father's house. When you came to Jesus, you came to the Father. And how you do your parenting with the Lord is you parent like the Father parents you. You make love the premier movement of your heart 
toward all those who are your assignment and responsibility. We've been singing about and speaking about this morning the fatherless and how God's heart goes out to the fatherless. You know what perfect religion is? Pure religion and undefiled before God. Anybody know that verse? James chapter 1, 22. Pure religion and undefiled before God is to care for the widows and literally the fatherless and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's the rest of the verse. God throughout the book talks about the fatherless and the orphans and how you treat those who are powerless is the true barometer of your care your management of influence and the resources God has given you it's the people in desperate need who cannot lift their voice to whom the Lord sends us there may be a fatherless person in your life you may not have to go anywhere. You can think of them right now. And God on this Father's Day may say to you, I want you to invest your life in that person. More and more as I contemplate my own father's relationship with me. You know what the gift was that he gave us? His presence. His presence and you can be present for someone who is fatherless. Now, you say, well, what is the goal of parenting? Well, in this text, it's, it compares children to arrows. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior. So are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. What do you do with an arrow? Well, it's got a sharp point. You aim it where you want it to go. You release it from the bow, and it goes with speed right to the target if you're a good archer. Now, you want to parent like God parents you. God does not bring you into his family and then say, hey, uh, hope you can find your way. I know parents that won't take their children to church because they don't want to influence them. What? No, I want them to choose their own religion. Say, let me tell you something about your children. If you hadn't known already. They're sinners. I mean, about six months old, you realize this child is very self-centered. He cannot see beyond his own food and diaper. <laughs> and it doesn't get better, it gets worse. Okay? They are, they're demanding. They scream when they don't get what they want. You know about children. All children are fallen. When they have opportunity, even when they know the right thing to do, they will choose the wrong thing to do. It is inevitable, it's going to happen. Your children are broken spiritually. They are by nature, the Apostle Paul says, not children of the purest religion imaginable, 
They are by nature children of wrath. They're children of wrath. They are by nature children of wrath. You can read that in Ephesians chapter 2. So what's your job as a parent? Your job as a parent is to point them like arrows to the God who made them. And to think, how can I instill in this child the love of God that I have in my heart? And parents, let me just say, with the love of God, they catch this more than it being taught to them. Okay? It's something you catch. You can't fake this. It's got to be in your soul, in your DNA, in your words. It's got to pour out of your being this love for God because they observe you every day. And taking them to church once a week is a good thing. But if the other six days you belie what they hear, they will absolutely know and internalize that. To really... Treat them like an arrow that is pointed toward God. You must have your own life pointed toward God. I mean, God must be the sole source, the reason you exist, the one to whom you answer, the longing of your heart, the breath you breathe, the water you drink. To love him passionately is the only way to pass it on to your child. And if you love them, your children will know it. So parent like God has parented you. You know, the Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm always going to be there for you. That's the heart of a father. That's the heart of a parent who follows the father's heart. You may be wondering in this room, well, I never knew my father. I, when you talk about fathers, it doesn't compute with me because I didn't know a father's love. Look, the father in heaven loves you. And the premier love of this universe, the father love in this universe is the God who made you. And to come to him is the most important thing in your life. To know this father's love is beyond all other things of greatest importance. And you come to the father through faith in Jesus Christ acknowledging your sin, confessing that, and saying, Lord, I want you in my life. I want to know the Father and be in his family. God calls you to that. What a wonderful day on this Father's Day to come to the Father in heaven. I hope you will. Let's bow together. If you've never come to the Father in heaven, never given your life to Christ, this would be a great moment just to bow your head and say, Lord, here I am. I know I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. But I believe you died on the cross for my sin and you rose again from the dead and I want you in my life. And to invite Christ into your heart just right now. Just open your heart to him and say, Lord, I want you in my life. Save me. Make me your own. Lord, we pray today that you will call mothers and dads and children and all of us to yourself. And Lord, make this Father's Day a day to remember because it's the day that we trusted you truly and deeply and securely. You came into your household, into your city, into your provision, and into your care. We 
commit our ways unto you in Jesus' name. Amen.